Thank you for joining us. My name is Katie Heinley, and this is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fisheries science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at FisheriesPod. If you're the generous sort, you can be like John, Robin, Janet, Ben, and Garrett and support the podcast on Patreon with either a recurring or one-time donation, which helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, stickers, and face masks on our Teespring store. Today, I'm interviewing Ash Cameron. Ash is currently a fish biologist with the Confederated Tribes of the Colville Reservation. Ash works in the Resident Fish Division's Aquatic Invasive Species Program with a focus on implementing the Invasive Mussel Project and the Northern Pike Suppression and Monitoring Project in the Upper Columbia River. Ash's previous work experience also includes fisheries monitoring as a technician for the Kalispell Natural Resource Department, Idaho Power, and Idaho Fishing Game. She has worked on many projects with various species, including white sturgeon, bull trout, west slope cutthroat trout, red band, fall chinook, and steelhead. Outside of work, Ash enjoys film photography, backpacking, fly fishing, kayaking, gardening, and adventuring with her dog, Annie. Welcome to the podcast, Ash. Hi, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Good. <laughs> so I always like to start with people's background. So how did you get interested in fisheries to begin with? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was I was really fortunate. I think I, you know, I grew up in a pretty small town. I grew up in Colville. My grandfather worked for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and I, I went to work with him when I was really little all the time, and I got to kind of be in the office jumping from lap to lap with all the biologists, and I just you know, I knew I wanted to go into natural resources at some point. I just didn't know necessarily what my niche was going to be. So I dabbled. I went, you know, I interned with the Forest Service and did goshawk uh, surveys here at the Three Rivers Ranger District in Kettle Falls and then kind of bounced around. And then it was in 2018, I got my first position in fisheries with the Cal Natural Resource Department. And that's where I met someone so so close to me uh she's basically as close as you can get to being a sister without blood relation I would say and she had been my mentor for so long and she was you know she was so strong and incredible she's an incredible woman (laughs) and I looked up to her so much you know she never let anyone silence her expertise especially Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool for um women in this industry I think and I looked up to that so much and I just remember going out on on the streams with her you know we were out there electro fishing and it was one of the biggest projects i think that involves using backpack electro fishing as suppression i mean it's mm-hmm. a 40 project and it covers all the way up to the headwaters of sullivan creek down to the, the lower levels of sullivan lake it's a huge project anyways and so that was my first introduction into fisheries and i fell in love with it i mean i never looked back after that year it was so incredible learning so much about West Slope cutthroat trout and doing invasive species removal and it was so action-packed you know we were camping Monday through Thursday every week from the start of June all the way until October November you know we we got the whole season and I I learned so much and I was like I want to do this forever (laughs) so yeah and that was I was still going to school at that time too and so I went to school at Western Washington University I I tried to focus most of the rest of my classes towards fisheries because I had already completed my first like two and a half years at that by that point. So I kind of trailed off into fisheries. I kept going, just flew with it, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. It always makes me really happy when people start with other stuff and then they try a fisheries job and they're like, yes, this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that, you know, Doing my goshawk surveys, I was like, this is really cool. I could do this. And then, you know, I, I did fisheries and I was like, 
people actually do this for a living every day <laughs> yeah I just and I don't I don't know I feel like a lot, some people could vouch for this too I feel like you meet so many like-minded individuals doing fisheries science and it's such an overwhelming feeling of community in fisheries that I you know each season I meet new people it's kind of like I kind of almost feel like I know you already you know (laughs) you make amazing friendships really fast and almost I don't want to say always but pretty close I'd say you have a good chance of them being interested in doing outdoor activities the same as you like you just make lifelong friends and I I wholly believe that that is really the most important thing is the people that you meet along the way and the research and the good stuff that you (laughs) bring yeah yeah absolutely I wanted to go back to your time in university really quick because I saw on your resume that you did a study abroad experience in Nepal and I think that sounds so cool (laughs) can you tell me a bit about the work you did um so like the research project you work on the courses and what kind of field work and stuff it was involved with that yeah that was such a cool experience and it was also a very impulsive decision on my part at that time I was still a freshman and I saw the study abroad program and it's with wildland studies and it's a habitat conservation program. And it's basically people from all over. I mean, we had a a lot of students were from Western, but we had people from all over Washington, D.C., Oregon, California. Like it was it was really cool. So it was in we started in South Central Nepal and we hit uh, Chitwan National Park first, which was really, really, really cool, and explored around there. And then we moved from South Central Nepal all the way up to the Sum Valley and Manaslu, which is kind of like a fork. It goes as you get north. And then eventually we we trekked almost to be like 10 miles south of the Tibetan border. Oh, wow. It got cold. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really, really incredible. I mean, I have never been in such a perpetual state of wow for that consecutive long of a period of my life mm. it, every day just constant shock <laughs> and having to convince myself that I was actually in a real place and I wasn't just dreaming yeah yeah we I mean we were hiking upwards to 10 miles a day it was a lot of trekking and I struggled a lot because I had no prior experience before and for some reason and when I applied to the program, I thought that I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do this. It'll be fine. And then I <laughs> I think oh, the elevation and just everything, I, I got so sick. <laughs> but it, it was, you know, it, it was really worth it. But sorry, my research. So the program itself is a really unique program in the fact that you get to study all different sorts of topics at once in a remote location. So we would trek for like 10 miles. And our professor, Chris Carpenter, wonderful man, he had two teacher's assistants, Erisi Watt and Tulsi Dangwa, which are two incredible women as well. Who would, oh, and Cynthia Gold, also really, really great <laughs> woman. And, and we had guides. And after we would trek for a while, you know, we'd take stops and study the geology of the mountains and the plant biota and we would sit down and sure other trekkers that passed us we'd see this group of people just huddled around this mushroom you know <laughs> doing but it was it was really it was really unique way to you know I got my geology and ichthyology and all sorts of experience 
experience um, just doing this one program as we were trekking. And when, when we'd get to camp, we would all sit down and we'd have this big tent and we would sit down and Chris would just start his lesson like a typical lecture, except you're in freezing cold weather <laughs> and you're at the base of the Himalayan mountains and you're like sharing a meal with all of these other students and your guides are in there just making jokes with you and laughing and we're eating dalba and <laughs> it was yeah so it was kind of it was really cool um as far as my research goes so each student had to pick a research project and at that time that was before I had fully engulfed my brain into fisheries but I was still really really interested in it and so I ended up studying water quality and I just used the tools that we had at hand and just you know would look up all of the benthic macro invertebrates as I went as we trekked along streams which wasn't super often because the way that the Himalayas grow because they're they grow so fast they cut in a v-shaped valley rather than a u-shape mm -hmm. and so most of the time you can't just go track along through the valley right. to get to where you go because it's so cut and the water is just rushing so it was only I think I the two major streams that I got to really spend time at that we stayed there long enough to where I was really enveloped and it was the Budigandaki and the Machikola rivers beautiful rivers also <laughs> but yeah so typically when we're trekking you're going up like 4,000 feet and then down 4,000 feet and then up 4,000 feet and down 4,000 feet and there's a saying in Nepal when you pass local people who will be carrying these giant bags of supplies back to their villages and they'll ask you kind of like ah kahajani which is like where are you going and then you go ooh mati which means way up there <laughs> that's just a little bit about it it wasn't super rigorous I would say as far as yeah it was really explorative <laughs> yeah but I really enjoyed it it was just constant learning <laughs> the whole time. yeah how long was that program for it was six weeks it was cool. a six-week program but it it felt like a lifetime but at the same time I, yeah it was just like yesterday <laughs> right yeah for sure <laughs> Well, since then, you came back and you worked several jobs both during and after graduating. And you, I don't want you to talk about all of them unless you want to, but I was curious which of these was your favorite and why. It would be a tie between, which, as far as which one my favorite goes, would be between Idaho Power and the Kalispell National Resource Department. I, I really liked working with Kalispell Natural Resource Department because of how big the project was. We worked in crews of like 24 and then would cut down to 12. And then we would have about three person or three people on a crew mm -hmm. go for a hundred meter stretches that are separated by block nets up the water drainage, doing large scale backpack electroshocking as a form of suppression on brick trout. And it was crazy. I mean, the seasons would change. And so the water would change all throughout the year. And so that was really wild to start the season in June or probably more so actually July the water's still rushing pretty cool and the flows are kind of high not dangerously like ah, you yeah. know get out it was still pretty fun because you'd have your feet planted in these rocks and you've got the backpack shocker and you've got a, your tandem shocking on a group of like six people and you're all shouting and these fish are flying at you and you've got your nets in the water and everyone's laughing and you're trying to catch as many yeah. fish as you can so that yeah <laughs> 
it was super fun. And then, you know, as the season goes on, you get to really know all the people you work with and the weather gets colder and people kind of get tired. And so then really funny jokes start coming and people start singing on the creek. <laughs> and it, I mean, it was just, it's really great. One of my really close friends is now actually a, a bio on that project and she started as my crew lead. And so that that's really cool to see her grow position. Uh, yeah, Molly, she's, I look up to her so much. And Brian, who is now the leader on that project, he is one of the most like fishiest people. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, he is so brilliant. And I've learned so much from them. It was such a crazy, incredible experience getting to, you know, have your hands just always in the water and, you know, working with fish. And I, I really liked to work I mean, that, that's where I got a lot of my experience with that. And then after my third year, I believe one of the biologists in the office had mentioned a, a technician job that was open with Idaho Power because I had expressed that I really wanted to work with white sturgeon. And I felt like I wanted to get my hands involved with new species because I had worked with West Slope cutthroat trout and brook trout and you know, those target species that we were working with for a little bit. And I was really ready to branch out. And so I was really lucky <laughs> to get the position with Idaho Power. It was fascinating. I, I packed up and moved to Boise. And that was a crazy experience. And what I, I mean, Idaho Power was really fascinating because I worked with them on their bull trout survey up over in Indian Creek, you know, and that was really cool. We would kind of similar to what I did with the Caspell Natural Resource Department. I was, you know, backpack shocking and doing brook trout suppression and a, just a general population study for bull trout that was in that area. And then also on Hall Creek, which was subject to a wildfire in 2019. And so we were just trying to get an estimate of how many bull trout, you know, kind of survived yeah. <laughs> through that the, and that was really interesting. Tons of morels, though. So that was yeah. really cool. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and so I loved every minute of being on bull trout. I, I fell in love with bull trout that summer as well. I mean, I already had fallen in love with West Slope cutthroat trout, but they kind of had to make room now for bull trout in my yeah. heart. <laughs> I'm constantly in this state of falling in love with fish every time I work on a new project and learn about a new species. The AFS conference, I listened to it a wonderful seminar on lamprey and now I'm like yeah. ah, I need to I need to work with lamprey <laughs> <laughs> that's funny you say that last week I did a podcast with Kelly Kareem and she's was really soaked about lamprey she's been doing some work with them and I'm like oh lamprey are really cool <laughs> I'm gonna be in your position listening to all of these projects all the time and not <laughs> just have like heart going in all these different directions constantly oh it's the best part about being a host on this podcast it's like oh every week or every month I get a new like spurt of energy I'm like oh fishers is so cool <laughs> yeah I totally get that <laughs> anyways but the bull trout project I I loved we actually had a bear <laughs> come through our camp that summer which was pretty wild that was really really funny that was probably one of my favorite memories also in fisheries was coming back and having all of these butt and paw prints all over our trucks <laughs> that was really really fun and then waking up in the middle of the night to my 
one of the bios on the project, Rick just like shouting at this bear. He's like running out of his tent in his pajamas. That was really, really funny. We ended up naming him Brian after the potatoes O'Brien. Potato. <laughs> like eating hashed O'Brien potatoes. But yeah, so that project was really, really cool. And I, oh, and on that project, on the bull trout project, we partnered with the U.S. Forest Service for a week based out of McCall. And I made lifelong friends with that entire crew. We have, since then, they've ended up coming and working with me at a hatchery at some point, like later down the road, which is really cool. And then we've traveled to California together and we've done a little bit of some whitewater experience and a lot of fly fishing after work all the time, which was really great. I, I, I really enjoyed meeting them. They're some of my dearest friends now and I, I cherish them a lot too. And I've learned so much from them as well. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that was really great. And then the white sturgeon project, we did a couple, I know power had a private jet. So we would fly from Boise <laughs> to <insane>. help. <laughs> yeah. I remember coming up, right? Like how I said before, I, I came on this, on working for them, thinking I was just going to do some backpack shocking for bull trout and brook trout suppression on these two creek drainages but I'm like with the hopes of getting to have some experience helping out the sturgeon crew I ended up dividing my summer going I mean one week I would be on sturgeon next week I'd be on bull trout one week I'd be flying through hell's canyon (laughs) and doing fall chinook surveys so it was I was bounced around everywhere and I loved it and it was incredible (laughs) just so we just had you know, a standard population survey for white sturgeon uh, throughout the Snake River by CJ Strike. And then towards, I would bounce around from working on that to the bull trout project. And then after those two seasons kind of ended in the fall, we started flying towards Hell's Canyon to do some gill netting for young of year sturgeon in lower granite. That was crazy. I remember finding out that I had to go on a jet and fly (laughs) and just like sitting with all these biologists in this jet plane. I'm like 22 years old, (laughs) just feeling like I I don't know. I had like one of the look my made it kind of moments. (laughs) (laughs) Explain it. It it was crazy. So, so fun. I mean, I was just constantly. stoked about what I was doing we ended up flying down and then I was you know we were I was driving the jet boat and gill netting up along the lower granite of Hell's Canyon kind of area and then later as it went on we jet boated all the way up through Hell's Canyon and stayed on a ranch for our uh, fall Chinook surveys they were we were doing carcass surveys and flying drones for red counts which was really fun to be way up in Hell's Canyon, only accessible by boat to get to this ranch and then staying there and then walking down the ranch to the mouth of the river to get on our boat and then go to the next project site was, (laughs) it was really, really cool. And lifelong friends that I made there, they're fantastic. And the projects I was, I was really, really proud to be a part of so many amazing projects that were going on with Idaho Power and their research is great. The biologists are brilliant and I learned so much. I'm still learning (laughs) today, but yeah, I loved every minute working there. I don't think I could pick between 
the Kalispell and experience in Idaho Power. I mean, they were they were just so different. There's yeah. no way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. That is great. I've also had several jobs where I'm like, I don't know, I loved all of them. So <laughs> I I get the <laughs> being conflicted. <laughs> I can't. I'm also having a hard time just like describing what it was that I loved about them because it's to me it's just like the feeling and being yeah. there and thing that I did it just enveloped <laughs> me <Yep>. like, <laughs> but yeah it was it was wonderful and especially just for someone who had never had you know coming from being in a really small town and doing fisheries in the backcountry and just hiking all the time like but to me I thought it couldn't get any better right I was like how is how am I gonna one up this and mm-hmm. then from an Idaho power and flying in jets through Hell's Canyon <laughs> <laughs> pulling up these nine foot 243 pound sturgeon like four of them on a line just like fighting yeah. them for 20 minutes and putting them in this sling and you know getting to do some slight like surgical protocol and looking at their um, the sex of the fish and just <laughs> to the drones flying through Hell's Canyon and looking at reds and carcass surveys and uh then going back to backcountry, bull trout. What um, I mean, it's just—it was a dream. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> sounds like it. <laughs> Earlier this year, you started as a fish biologist for the Confederated Tribes of the Kola Reservation. What kind of projects are you involved with that role, or what are you in charge of? Yeah, so I just started in June, so it's a—it's pretty new to me still. I'm still learning most of my duties (laughs) but I'm in the resident fisheries division on the aquatic invasive species like you had said and I kind of monitor two different projects the invasive mussels project and also northern pike suppression I'll start with the mussels it's preventative monitoring for invasive mussel species like zebra and quagga mussels because the Columbia River Basin is the only river basin without invasive mussels in the western continental U.S. Mm -hmm. So it's, we're kind of just hoping to keep it that way. Yeah. <laughs> right now, we're actually going to pull the last of my substrate samplers next week. But I guess what a, a typical field day is once a month, we go out. I have 10 sites along Lake Roosevelt and, and Rufus Woods Reservoir. And they have substrate samplers, which are these small structures that we place attached to a buoy and an anchor in the water. And we're basically checking the structures for villagers who have attached to the structure. And so we'll pull those up once a month, check to make sure that, you know, there's no villagers attached and then we'll redeploy it for next month's sampling. And then we'll also take two plankton toe samples of vertical and an oblique toe. So we <laughs> determine the photic zone by taking the psyche depth and then that's where we pull our, our plankton toes through and then we'll send those samples off to a lab in Florida who will look for microscopic villagers yeah. <laughs> in the water. And so yeah, so we do that. And also we'll take eDNA monitoring as well at each of those sites and then send those samples off to the Rocky Mountain Research Station in Montana. And just doing a lot of preventative monitoring out at these sites and driving the boats down. And that's my typical day. And then when I'm not doing that, <laughs> we're doing the pike suppression, which is a large gill netting and electro fishing survey. So we'll use those two methodologies, primarily 
gill netting, but we do do a lot of electroshocking as well, or electrofishing, I should say. The gill netting is, it changes in locations. We'll go, I think the farthest north we go to is up near China Bend, uh, which is the, a really northern part of Lake Roosevelt. And then this year, I think our lowest, I kind of, I started already halfway through the season, so I, yeah. I don't actually know how far low. <laughs> low. <laughs> <laughs> this year but it's just a lot of we set gill nets all throughout the river and pull them up and hopefully trying to get all of the pike out yeah. <laughs> as we can yeah oh and then we just partnered with wdfw in a, installing a washdown station at, a, at the steamboat rock area and, and also at kettle falls marina uh, to encourage users boat users on the yeah. recreation on the water to uh, wash down you know their their boats after using and going from river to to lake to river to yeah whatever water they're recreating on it's really important because we really do not want yeah <laughs> invasive mussels in this water i mean it could cause upwards of like 25 million dollars of damages to each dam and there's 18 wow. dams river basin um and you know those costs are going to be reflected by anyone who benefits from the hydrological power from the basin i mean they're already quagmire mussels are spread to more than 15 u.s states already you know they're and they they inhabit fast mm -hmm. they very rapidly i think they were introduced to the great lakes around the 1980s and it took them only about five years to spread <laughs> all, all throughout most of those lakes over there and I mean, all the agriculture pipes that are used um, throughout the Columbia River, those can get clogged in less than six months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're really hard to treat because they're, for one, they're really small and they are just, I mean, the methodology to control them is still being researched. There's chemical and non-chemical control methods, but they're, you know, each one has their give and takes and their costs are very yeah. expensive <laughs> so yeah we just want to make sure that the they stay out of the columbia river <laughs> yeah that's it's kind of funny I, maybe i've just had like my blinders on but i've always thought with muscles of like the ecological costs of them getting introduced to an area but i didn't actually think about all the economic costs that would come yeah. along with that especially in the columbia i mean i'm in a an agricultural dominated area right we have so many farms and so many farmers rely on water in the columbia river and then also with all of the dams that we have and so many people that benefit from the hydrological power from you know said dams mm -hmm. all of those costs would get trickled down in a way yeah like you said that yeah it's it was really it's really shocking and i think it's easy to just like, oh, it's an invasive species. We got to watch out for it. But to actually think about how much damage is they could, such a small organism yeah. could, could <laughs> do is pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Are there a lot of AIS stations set up throughout the reservation? Or is that in tandem with like Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife? I think most tandem with WDF. Are you asking like, does the Colville tribe have their own? But yeah, I was just kind of curious if, in addition to the research that you're doing on the ground of like seeing if they're th or like monitoring to see if they're there, if there's also that step, like preventative step of checking yeah. both before they hit the water. Yeah, 
we have we just um partnered with wdfw and installed those washdown stations but yes uh wdfw does have oh actually let me mention this wdfw has a muscle sniffing dog named oh puddles and also her partner in crime named finn <laughs> W will bring these two amazing, hardworking dogs out and they will sniff and do boat checks for mussels at various stations. I'm not I'm not mm-hmm. sure as to which ones they decide to go to. All the, I don't know their schedule, but yeah. I was recently blessed with the opportunity to meet Puddles. We had a, a grand opening of one of our washdown stations over at the Kettle Falls Marina and Puddles came and did a demonstration of what it looks like when she sees evidence of muscles on a, on a boat. And that was incredible. She's so smart. <laughs> and uh, that was really, really cool. And I, I wish we could get one. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, she's great. I, she's a, a true leader in her, in her field. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was curious because you've worked both for like state agencies and then Idaho Power is a private agency. Like what, yeah. what are the differences, if any, if we're working for a tribal agency? There are a, a lot of differences. I've, I've actually got the opportunity to work with two different tribal agencies, which is really great. I really like working for tribal agencies. I think that they do a lot of great research and there's a lot of really great biologists out there when it comes to differences I think maybe some people think that there are these vast great differences but in all honesty you know I think that tribal agencies are putting out really incredible research and Mm -hmm. I've had more diversity working with tribal agencies with people and I I really like that one of the texts on our the cruise that I have now I love it because he speaks Salish a little bit and so I've one of the things I really like to do when we're out working is he'll teach me all these different Salish words I'm like Rick what is what is this in Salish that's awesome (laughs) I really like learning that way and it's really cool and I would say the biggest difference is the culture I mean the diversity is so different and refreshing to see their passion and how much their ancestry is laced into Mm -hmm. these science and the fisheries and the you know where we're working and being lucky enough to be a part of you know I get to be a part of ceremonies sometimes like powwow is really cool (laughs) to be a part of to go to powwows and that's that's really really cool and I like hearing all they have so many stories (laughs) I love the stories about all the land and everything it's just it's it's really unique experience working with tribal agencies where they have so much passion and history and culture and love tied with their land. (laughs) So it's, I think it can get overlooked sometimes working for other agencies who, yeah, I mean, you meet biologists who are very Mm -hmm. passionate about, absolutely. But to have a culture tied so deep into the specific area that you're working in and getting to learn about the way that they, they go about doing things and what they've learned from their ancestors and what they've been told from their ancestors and them, you know, feeling comfortable enough to share that with me is an honor. And I, I really enjoy, I I really enjoy working for tribal agencies. I think the culture is, it's different. I think it's something to be really grateful to have the work field, but also as friends as well. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a hard um, 
subject to explain the differences between private and federal and state mm-hmm. and tribal agencies because I haven't had the experience to be an upper level biologist where I'm representing, right. you know, and so it, I'm sure people have different experiences when, you know, tribal agencies are advocating for something and then maybe that contrasts with state agencies or the federal agencies or the private sector, especially, you know, with dams and things like that. So it's, it can get kind of tricky and communication is very key <laughs> to playing a part in collaboration with that. For sure. It's something I look forward to gaining experience in as I go about my career and being able to grow and be able to represent the tribe that way one day. But it's also really cool to see in my position now. It's cool. <laughs> awesome. Is there anything else you want to touch on that I just wouldn't have thought to ask about? I really just want to encourage people who are really early in their career and who are just starting and don't quite know what kind of projects are out there and what kind of things being a fisheries technician can lead to, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just I really wanted to represent women <laughs> in yeah. fisheries. I think it, you know, it, it can be very challenging for us in this industry being in a, a predominantly male dominated field. And yeah, so I guess, could I talk about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think if there was a good lead in, but maybe, maybe just go for it. Talk about what you want. <laughs> How's your experience been as a woman in fisheries? <laughs> yeah. I guess to start, you know, the leader of my first project was a woman. So I was really lucky to have an incredible example who never kind of let that inequality silence her expertise. And I really looked up to that. That was something that I wanted to be just like, because it's easy to have people talk over you and mm-hmm. second guess yourself and your knowledge and maybe not believe in your experiences enough to stick up for yourself sometimes. And that was something that she had no problem with. And I was like, wow, okay, if I'm going to learn from anybody in this field, you know, I want to, I want to learn from her. I want to be just like this. And she invested so much time in me and still remains a constant inspiration in my life. And moving forward to my position now, I'm in a female dominated office and my two, yeah, it's so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) My two supervisors are just, they are so intelligent and just leading in this industry like I am really excited to you know be taken under their wing and to learn so much from them and you know they've been paving their way into this industry and it's been so encouraging working with all of these wonderful women and I only want to keep up you know their hard work by setting examples for others out there who may be faced with challenges of breaking down walls in STEM and continue to prove my capabilities not only to myself but to others as well that's I guess what kind of drives me in fisheries, I want to be the best that I can and also provide the best research that I can, but also be respected while doing it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. My last question, well, until we get to our last five, is just talking about hobbies and interests outside of science, because I think it's fun to hear what people do outside of their work. And we touched on this a bit in your bio. So I was most curious about your interest in film photography. How did that start? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It started actually last year. I got my first film camera. I've always had an interest in photography and I I have a digital camera and I really enjoy it. I've got a long lenses that are like sitting behind me, but I got my first film camera because I met someone in Boise and we became friends and she had a film camera and I was like, this is actually really, really cool. So I really got into it. And then I started learning about the different films and how, you know, that can change the output of your pictures and things and I 
started to really roll with it. I got really into it and I started taking it everywhere. And I love taking pictures of fish (laughs) with film. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I like film photography because it ties hand in hand with everything because I can bring it everywhere. You know, it's something that I can do while fly fishing. I catch a fish and I love being able to take a picture of fish on film and see how they turn out is so cool. And I'm just being out on the water and snapshotting. And then my favorite part about film is not knowing what it's going to look like. Yeah. It comes back and you're like, oh, it turned out so good. And I love that. But yeah, I, I'd like to eventually build a dark room in my house and start developing my own photos. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of, I live in a small house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to have like these pictures just like hanging in pure darkness right. around. You probably just like stumble all over the place <laughs> because I can't ever turn my lights on. But I, I really enjoy it. And I think it's starting to get really popular more and more today, which is really, really cool because I think it was quite the dying art for a while. And now all these people are starting to kind of take it back up again, which is really cool. But yeah, I, I love taking it in the backcountry and backpacking and stuff and taking all these beautiful shots and then getting them developed and seeing how they turn out is yeah. really cool. <laughs> that's awesome I'm happy I asked that because I feel like you worked in so many of your other hobbies and that answer was like yes that worked <laughs> I know I feel like my hobbies are probably pretty similar to most of the people <laughs> on this podcast yeah. I, I fly fishing <laughs> <laughs> still fun to hear about though okay well that brings us to the close what we call the tough part of the interview uh and it brings us to our final five questions which we ask each of the guests that come on the show i honestly think these are harder but it depends on the person so <laughs> the first one is what is your favorite fish can i say my top three yeah okay i don't know if i could pick between all three of these Westlop cutthroat trout is what i'm going to say first because that was the first fish that got me into fisheries and white surgeon because they are these beautiful mystical magical (laughs) wonderful beings that just inhabit the deep depths of our river and they're fantastic I mean sometimes I look at them and I'm like how are you even real (laughs) and then bull trout I absolutely love I mean bull trout and west of cutthroat trout can kind of go hand in hand as far as the streams that they inhabit being so far into the backcountry but probably one of the reasons why I love the two of those species so much is the places that they get to take me when I'm researching them you know you Mm -hmm. wouldn't I'll be way back into a research location and you'll be sitting there and I can't help but always thinking like I would have never found this place if it wasn't for these beautiful beautiful fish who have found place and call it home you know (laughs) so that's that yeah ties ties between those three (laughs) yeah for sure all right what is your favorite memory from your career so far my overall career or my my new budding (laughs) biology (laughs) however you want to (laughs) answer probably the first time I pulled up a sturgeon and worked up said sturgeon (laughs) was just an absolute mind-blown experience I I'll never forget seeing that and being a part of that I it, I mean it was truly incredible and I was the first time I really felt like I am in science <laughs> like this is crazy like look yeah. at this thing but yeah it was I mean to process something that giant <laughs> is I mean it could have just tossed me off the boat yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love that and all the really fun jet boating up through Hell's Canyon was really really great and um and then all of you know laughing and singing songs and working with all the beautiful cutthroat trout way up in the backcountry of the 
Sullivan Conservation Area. I, I, I loved it up there <laughs> as well. I, I'm going to have to pick three each, each one. I'm so- <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. What is your dream job and or location? I think I have my dream job. I mean, I, from a young age, I knew I wanted to be a biologist. I didn't know what kind but I knew I wanted to be there. And when I accepted this position, I was just like, wow. <laughs> it took a second to really set in. I mean, I, I get to work out on the river every day. I get to handle fish every day. And I'm really looking forward to a lot of the lab work that's going to be coming up as this, it's snowing outside right now. So <laughs> going to start coming up here soon. And yeah, I just, I, I think I live the dream. I'm I love it when I get to go somewhere new and people, you know, you meet strangers and like, oh, what do you do? And I get to just be like, I'm a fish biologist. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I'm so excited because I just get to share about the wonderful things I get to do every day. (laughs) I I think a dream job is something that you're really excited to go to every day. And I think I have that. So (laughs) awesome. Love to hear it. If money was on issue, what is one project you'd like to work on? Oh, I I would love to do some really crazy backpack, real backcountry salmonid work. Ideally with YY, brook trout would be really, really cool. I know that there are some projects who have to get places by horseback, which sounds crazy to me. I think that would be so cool. But yeah, I, I think Dream, I would love to work on population dynamics for backcountry uh, populations of bull trout especially if it's like a, a really really historical population would be really <laughs> really cool <laughs> or some yeah. of the cutthroat species in Colorado that are way back there and all along those private ranches would be set out oh, fantastic <laughs> I got really inspired by that actually by one of the uh, film entries that were provided at uh, the AFS conference this year about the the wildfire all right. Our last question is if there's one point of principle you could have programmed into everyone's head, what would it be? Well, the first one, don't spread invasive species. <laughs> <laughs> Environmental stewardship is important. <laughs> Love your waters. <laughs> and then I guess the second one, I would really want to touch on people who are, you know, in a similar boat as me who are maybe still going to school and don't know what kind of really amazing projects are out there or who are you know, really new to their positions. And it can get kind of intimidating, I think, with how many wonderful and brilliant biologists there are out there. And it can be really intense for early early career professionals, for sure. But I think it's really important not to underestimate your own knowledge and your strengths, and just to understand that everyone is learning as they go. And I think that everybody has a unique skill set and experience that can be a valuable contribution, regardless of who you are, what you are. So just, you know, speak up about the things that you really believe in and your research and what you know. And I'm just always continue to strive to learn more. Awesome. That's perfect. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm really happy it worked out, especially after meeting you at AFS. That was really fun. (laughs) But yeah, so that that was, that was so cool. If people wanted to find out more about your work or get a hold of you, how can they do that? Oh, yeah. My email is incredibly long, as you know. <laughs> I-, I can just include it in the show notes. <laughs> That's because I, 
<laughs> it is so long, but yeah, I would encourage anyone to call, text, or email. Um, we have, we actually do have a couple positions that are going to be one, you know, that are going to be open here in a, this fall and winter potentially. I'm sure. So yeah, if they're awesome. ever wanting to learn more or wanting to come work for the tribe, yeah. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. I'm really happy this worked out. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to get a hold of me or the podcast, you can find me at KB Hindley on Twitter. And the podcast is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at fisheriespod. Or send us an email to feedback at thefisheriespodcast.com. You can download past, present, and future episodes on your favorite listening app or stream it from Spotify or thefisheriespodcast.com. And don't forget, you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some awesome Fisheries Podcast shirts, hoodies, and stickers available on Teespring. I'm Katie Hindley. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fisheries Podcast. And remember, don't spread aquatic invasive species and don't underestimate yourself.